Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. If you would, our reading today is in Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15, and when I finish uh, reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you could respond, thanks be to God. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if you have found favor, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed at herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New King Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New King. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of teaching on this very, very ancient passage from Genesis 18. And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it into two halves. The first half is the first eight verses where the three men uh, come to Abraham and they have a big dinner, a big lunch. And the topic is hospitality. I'm going to talk about hospitality. The second half begins in verse 9 and goes through 15. And that is the passage where the Lord is interested in Sarah. So those are the two halves, and we're going to really dig into that one. Um, It was a bit of a tough week for me this week. As uh, many of you know, my dear wife was in the hospital. That's what I call it, the hospital, where the horses are. And um, she got a bit of an infection and had to go on some uh, antibiotic to get rid of that uh, after some surgery she had. So uh, if I'm a little foggy today... And some of what I say say doesn't really flow very well. It's not because of my age. (laughs) 
When, when my wife is sick, my brain just shuts off and I just turn into this big fog. But I, I just want to use this opportunity. I know a lot of you knew about this. A lot of you prayed. Thank you so much for praying for her. We really felt it. And that just shows the love of the body. And I, I really appreciate that. So let's pray now that the Lord would help me to, um, to preach the sermon. And, and, and don't just, you know, scratch your eyelids. You know, we always do, don't just put your head down. Really pray. I need your help. Pray that the Lord would help me. And pray that the Lord would have you see something today that would change you. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that we can be here this morning to hear from your word. Father, I ask you that you would help me to preach this sermon in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that you would energize me and that the words that I say would touch my heart and change me. Father, I pray for those that are here, that they would hear God's word. They would see you, Father, in a new way, and it would change them and give them joy. I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hospitality. The first eight verses are about hospitality. I am not going to go through them verse by verse. I will in the second part. I want to talk about some principles here. So Abraham is out. It's the heat of the day. He's taken a little siesta. He's in the door of the tent. His eyes are rolling back into his head because it's hot. And he opens them, and there's three men standing in front of him. You know the story. Lucius read it for us. And what does he do? He immediately jumps up. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the earth and said, Oh, Lord, if, there, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let's have a little water. Let's wash your feet. I'm going to get some food on the table. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to take care of you. Now, some people, when they read this, think that, Abraham immediately knew who these three men were. I don't think that's the case. I don't think he knew who they were until down in verse 10. And let me just briefly tell you why. As you read down through the passage, it says, they said to him, and they said to him, the three men say. But when you get to verse 10, it changes. And that's significant. That means something. It says, the Lord said. And what does he say? I'm going to return to you. And you're going to have a son. Now, these were strangers. They wouldn't have known that. And I think that's the point where Abraham said, it's the Lord. (laughs) This is something different. So I think in the first part, he was showing hospitality. To them, hospitality. And um, this was customary. This was nothing that was out of line with the Bedouin culture of the day. Understand that. The word Bedouin means a desert dweller and refers to the ancient Arab people that have spent thousands of years living a nomadic lifestyle in the Middle East. They're called Bedouins, and that's what Abraham was. 
And their culture was such that their DNA, who they were as people, started with hospitality. So if you go home today, don't do it now, but if you go home today and you fire up your Google machine, right, on your telephone or your computer at home, if you have one of those, and you type in Bedouin culture, what comes up when I did it was a bunch of current travel sites that explained and had articles about what would happen if you visited these lands today. And the first article I read on a travel site was called From Strangers to Brothers. You get that? From Strangers to Brothers. And it said, in their tradition, anyone who arrives at their home must be welcomed in, no questions asked, and protected from any harm. Guests will be hosted for three days before they even ask why they have arrived. For most Westerners, this is beyond our comprehension. If someone knocks on my door today, it's like, oh boy, what's someone selling or what's going on? That's our first thought, right? Not them. And the purpose is to build and strengthen relationships. To this very day, thousands of years later, hospitality defines them. That's who they are to their core. And the world knows it. And so what we read in Genesis 18 is common practice back then. This is what you did. You with me? Okay. So, there's a verse in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, because you pull that up. Uh, verses 1 and 2. It says this. It, it, there's two verses, and, and I want to focus on each one. It says, the writer of Hebrews says to Christians in the first century, let brotherly love continue. Right? And so what he's encouraging the Christians to do is to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them. Show that you love them. Care for them. Reach out to them. Show them hospitality. Christians. But it goes on in verse 2 and says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. If you look in your margin in your Bible, I can almost guarantee there'll be a footnote that says, go look at Genesis 18. Every Bible scholar says what this verse is referring to when somebody entertained angels unaware was what happened with with Abraham. He didn't know who they were. So, first verse Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Second verse, show hospitality to strangers. Now that, those words, show hospitality to strangers, is one word in the Greek in the New Testament. It's one word. And you know what it means? Love strangers. Love strangers. Love people that you don't know, that that have just come into your sphere of vision. Love them. Love the brothers and sisters. Love strangers. That's what we're called to. 
Yeah? That's what we're called to as Christians. Now, New King Church. If you're new here, maybe today is your first Sunday. Maybe you've been here just for a couple weeks. We have a mission statement. It's on the wall back there. Helping people find and follow Jesus. That's our mission statement, very simple. Find Jesus through the gospel of Jesus and follow Jesus to live a life like he lived. It's bringing the gospel into every sphere of life so that we walk like Jesus walked, helping people find and follow Jesus. That's our mission statement. That defines us, but there's four values that go along with that. Value number one, Jesus. We make much of Jesus. We worship Jesus. We remember Jesus in his death. We love Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Everything is centered around the person of Jesus. Okay? Number one. Value number two. If you're new here, it may surprise you. Hospitality. Our second value is hospitality. To reach out to other people, no matter where we are, with the love of Jesus. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a couple of minutes, a little more. Our third value, so we have Jesus, we have hospitality. Our third value is just as simple. It's depth. We want to encourage you to have a deeper relationship, number one, with Jesus, to know him better through his word, and number two, a deeper relationship together as a family, the brothers and sisters of Jesus. Depth. And the final value, value number four, is multiplication. We don't want to just have it here within the four walls of this church. We want to multiply our faith. We want to preach the gospel. We want to testify to Jesus. Multiplication. Jesus, hospitality, depth, multiplication. Very simple. You with me? You guys okay? You haven't fallen asleep in those cushy chairs? You're all right? Okay. What does hospitality look like? I want to just talk about that before we get into Sarah. What does it look like? It means to love the brothers and sisters and love strangers. It means to love the brothers and sisters and love strangers. What does that look like at church? It means we love each other. We care for each other. When I see my brother or my sister, I meet him and I say, I'm so glad to see you. And I mean it. I mean it. I care about you. And when someone new comes in, we greet them with hospitality and we say, hey, over there's the bathroom in that, that corner. Over there's the coffee in that corner. If you have too much of that one, you're probably going to need that one, <laughs> right? And, and, and here's what our service looks like. And I'm glad you're here. I want to talk more. Hospitality at the church and our homes. 
Are we willing to bring people into our homes to get to know them better, to talk to, about Jesus with them, to share a meal together? I cannot tell you the depth of relationship that has happened when Annette and I have somebody in our home. It makes a difference. And we live a thousand miles away. I have to actually fly into Burlington to get here. Not really. But to have people in your home, please do it. Please invite people. You will be blessed. And then the third thing, we bring hospitality wherever we go. You and I, we're ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. Wherever we go, we bring the kindness and love of Jesus. You're thirsty, you stop at a gas station, you want to get a soda or a drink. You say to the guy or the lady behind there, hey, how's your day? And you mean it. You take a minute, and if they're busy, okay. But you see people. I cannot tell you, in the world that we live in, what a difference it makes when you're at the cast register and you look at that lady who's been standing there all day moving stuff down and you stop and you look her in full in the face and you say, thanks for doing this. You must be exhausted. They will just stop. They can't believe it. This is showing the kindness and love of Jesus. Oh my word, when we were in the hospital, the caregivers there, we were in the ER twice. Oh my word, it is a battle zone. The people that are there that care, I don't know how you do it, but thank you. And I know some of them are Christians because a couple of them said, hey, can we pray for you? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Wherever you are, you're happy to see them. You're happy to serve them. You're happy to get to know them. And just a couple practical cautions, because we need those. We have to do this genuinely and authentically. We cannot do it in a fake way. Annette and I visited a bunch of churches this spring when we were out west, and most of them were very hospitable. They really cared. But a few of them, you meet the person, they're shaking your hand, and they're looking over here. And it, it comes through immediately. You know it in a second. They don't care. We have to do it authentically. How? How do we do that? Because we take the love of Christ that's in us. We're commanded to do it. We're commanded to love our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Not just the guy that lives next door. Anybody that comes into our sphere. We're commanded to love them. It doesn't matter what gender they are or what gender they identify as. I don't care. It doesn't matter what faith they have or don't have. It doesn't matter. We show the love of Jesus to them. We reach out to them. We want to sincerely form a relationship. We want to say more than just hello. That's what it looks like. So you have to do it in genuineness based upon the love of Jesus. Know your limitations. What do I mean by that? Annette and I, my wife and I, we're very different people. She says, I'm the social butterfly. She says, you just flip from person to person. You can't wait to talk to anybody and to everybody. And when someone goes out, you, like, you're running chasing them into the parking lot. That is me. I do love to talk to people. I love to hear their story. 
I can't wait to say to them, what are you doing here at New King Church on Sunday morning? I can't wait to hear the answer. My wife is different. If you ever notice, after church, after the service ends, she's often in that little corner right there, and she's got one person. That's her. She says, I can't do what you do. She spends time. She does it one at a time. Know who you are. Know your limitations. You all don't have to be the social butterfly that I am. Know your limitations. Know how God has made you. And capitalize on that. If you're a one-on-one person, awesome. We need people like you. It's unbelievable. Don't overwhelm people. (laughs) I know I do this sometimes. Don't overwhelm people. Read the social cues. When I'm standing out there and I'm saying hello to somebody or goodbye to somebody, particularly goodbye, I know when you don't want to talk to me. I know when you can't wait to get to the car and get out of the parking lot. See, I know that. I'm not seriously going to chase you down in the parking lot and run after the car. I'm not going to do that. I have some sense, not much, but a little sense of the social cues. I know when people just, you know, some people, they come in, they take it all on, and it's like, I just can't wait to get to the car. I got to think this through. What am I doing here? I went to this church. They talked about Jesus. Just get me out of here. I get it. I get it. Other people, oh my word, they can't wait. And I love it. Somehow their heart has been touched by the gospel of Jesus and they want to share. It's unbelievable. So know the social cues. Don't chase people down the road. Don't run and chase people into the parking lot, okay? Don't do that. And finally, this is my favorite one. If you're a husband and you're going to invite people over to your house, check with your wife first. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many times I've had to call somebody up and say, yeah, you know, uh, next Tuesday um, I'm in for surgery or I'm having my head removed or we're out west somewhere. I can't do it and I feel like a dope. I love this portion. Because Abraham invites these guys, and he runs in the house, and what does he say? Sarah, quick, hurry, food, we got to have food. That's me. (laughs) And my wife has to calm me down. Yep, that's a great idea. Why don't you say next week and not this week? You know we have community group that night. It's like, oh, yeah, dumb head. Check with your wife. Check with your spouse. Be on the same page. That's it. Hospitality. So important. To show the love of Jesus in every situation. Kindness. And it doesn't mean you got to hit him over the head with the Bible and go through the Romans road. It doesn't mean that. And that had a person in the bed beside her. who This girl is, is in her 20s. I, she, the, this, the seriousness of her health is just unbelievable. And she unloaded on Annette one night for three hours. And Annette said, all I could do was listen and marvel about what this young girl had been through. And yes, I prayed for her, but I didn't make it a big deal. It's the Lord's work. We're called to be faithful. We're called to, 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 to show the love of Jesus. Maybe in his time, something will happen because she has her number. But just remember, we don't have to force it. Love people. Love Jesus. Love the brothers. Love the strangers. And you guys do a wonderful job at that. Don't think I'm beating you up. Okay, we got to get to Sarah. I can't wait to get to Sarah. 
That's it for the first part. 9 through 15, there's a bunch of questions that come. And I want to focus on each question and tease out some very interesting things in this dialogue. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. Where's Sarah? You see what's happening here. We're going to know it in a second, but it's the Lord that's come. It's the Lord that's come with two angel guys with him, or maybe gals. I think it says three men. The Lord shows up, and he's interested in Sarah, more so than Abraham. Where's your wife? This is fascinating. She's in the tent. And, and remember, remember what had happened in verse, or in chapter 16, Sarah says, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from having children. And she decides to offer her Egyptian uh, helper, her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham. Remember that? There's a movie out right now. I've referred to it a couple times. It's called His Only Son. His only son. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah. Annette and I saw it. I think it's a fantastic movie. And so in the movie, they flesh out some of these dialogues that might have happened. It's not exactly scripture, but to me it helps me understand. And here's how they portray it. Sarah says to Abraham, God only spoke about you. He only spoke to you, and he only said, you're going to have a son. He didn't say, I'm going to have a son. The promise is to you, not to me. And she falls on the floor weeping and said, in order to make this happen, you've got to take my slave, my handmaid, my, this Egyptian woman. You've got to do it. The promise is only to you. And it's heartbreaking to think of what she had to go through. Here, take her, and out the door she goes. She can't even be in the tent to hear it. Can you imagine? And it's not until chapter 17 that God tells Abraham, Sarah will bear a son. So in 16, she didn't know. And she's heartbroken over it all. And now the question comes, where is Sarah, your wife? I'm sure that got her attention. And Abraham replies, she's in the tent. Why? Why is she in the tent? What is she doing in the tent? You see, every word matters in this this story. Every word matters. It's it's not a cultural norm for her to stay in the tent. The cultural norm is her to come out and serve. That's what would have been normal. Where is your wife? Why the question? Because it's not normal. She's in the tent. Why is she in the tent? What is she doing in the tent? Why hasn't she come out? Verse 10. I will surely re- the Lord says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door. Picture it. 
Her ear, she had a glass up. You know how they used to do in the movies? Put a glass up. I don't know if that really works or not, but she was listening. She heard it. She's there. She's hanging on every word. And now she hears it from the Lord's mouth for the first time. Sarah, you're going to have a baby. Isn't that unbelievable that God would, would, would do that? He was probably a busy guy back then. I don't know what was going on, but he took the time to come. Where's your wife? She's going to have a son, right? And Sarah was listening at the tent door. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, the way of woman. She had stopped menstruating a long time ago, probably decades before. Why is that brought up? We know that. It's obvious. What is the point of all that? Why was she in the tent? One of the Jewish scholars I read said this. Yes, it's uncharacteristic that she wasn't out bustling out helping. Where's your wife? She's in the tent. The way of women had stopped. This scholar said this. What if she didn't feel well? That would explain it. I'm feeling a little poorly today. What if she was starting to feel the first pains of menstruation for the first time in decades? You see, she was going to give birth in in about a year. Things had to get moving. Yeah, God could have done it in in, in many different ways. This scholar suggests that maybe she was starting to feel, and she couldn't believe it. And she's in the tent. She's like, I feel, I don't feel good. What about that? You see, the miracle is starting to happen. And then what happens? Then comes the laugh. This is precious. This is unbelievable. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The the way of women had ceased. Now verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself. Understand, she doesn't laugh out loud. She laughs to herself. She's silent. And she says in her mind, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That's the second question. So, How does she characterize Abraham? He's old. Yeah, we know that. He's 100, 99. How does she characterize herself? This is important. What is her self-image? How does she think of herself? How does she describe herself in her own mind? I'm worn out. The word in Hebrew is most often applied to worn-out garments or clothes. You know back then that they, they didn't throw things away until they were extremely worn out. They patched them and patched them and put patches on the patches and all that kind of thing. She is saying, I am totally worn out. I am good for nothing. There's not even any thread left to patch to. That's how I see myself. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe here this morning, and you're not 90 years old, maybe you're 
18 or 20 or 30, and you feel like you've lived 10 lives, and you're worn out. You've come to the right place because I want to tell you about Jesus. That's coming in a bit. You've got to hold on. She's worn out. But she laughs. She laughs to herself, and she says something amazing. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Pleasure. It means, in the Hebrew, delight. It means happiness. It means pleasure. The kind of pleasure that she is anticipating is based upon the context. We know what a root word means. We know the nuance from the context. Many Christian scholars say, yeah, the pleasure that she's talking about is the pleasure of having a son. And that's true. But when you look at the Hebrew commentators, the Jewish commentators who write on this, they say, yeah, that's there. But it's really in the context and the way that the word is used is speaking about another pleasure. You know what it is? Surprise. She's talking about sexual pleasure. Ooh, did he really say that? Yeah, he's talking about sexual pleasure. That's what she means. That's what God is saying. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And she laughs. Shall I have pleasure? Are we really going to have sex again? It's been a long time probably. They're both old. They had the whole mess with Hagar. She's probably not too interested in going into Abraham's bed, and Abraham, it's a mess. Am I going to have pleasure again? You see, the marriage was broken. It was a mess. And she laughs to herself and says, am I really going to have sex again? Abraham's 100 years old. I'm worn out. I'm worthless. Am I really going to be a young bride again? Am I going to be desirable? Is God going to take me back somehow? Back. Back where? Hold that thought. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Why did Sarah laugh? Was it doubt? Yeah, Abraham, we, we, you guys have, many of you have been with us through this series in, in Abraham's life. He doubted. Maybe there was some of that. Was there a little embarrassment, maybe? Did she kind of blush and kind of give a nervous giggle when this idea of, of uh, sexuality comes in? Maybe. Could be. I, I think the next verse tells us why she laughed. Verse 14. Is there anything too hard 
for the Lord. Too hard. Difficult. That's not the best translation. If you look, most of your Bibles, I know the ESV has it, if you look at the bottom of the page, it translates this word too hard into something else. It says, is anything too wonderful? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful? Is anything too marvelous? You see, this, this is God speaking. This is who God is. He's the God of wonderful things and marvelous things. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? The Lord knows her heart. He knows what she's thinking. And he is saying, I am going to far exceed all that you ask or think. I'm going to give you back what you don't even dare to think about. I'm going to give you a son. Yes. I'm going to make that promise true. The son you long for, the one I promised, but I'm also going to restore your broken marriage. I'm going to take you back to the beginning, back to where your marriage was fresh and vibrant and full of pleasure. And every time you thought, well, this maybe will be the time that we make a baby. I'm going to bring you back, he says. How do I know this? Am I making this up? When Sarah says, will the Lord give me pleasure? The word pleasure in the Hebrew is Eden. Eden. Did you know that? I learned that this week. When I saw that, it absolutely and utterly blew me away. I am going to bring you back to Eden. And we all, we long for Eden. We want to be walking in the cool of the garden with the Lord. We want to be in a relationship where there's no shame. We, we want to have every tear wiped away. That's our destiny. You and I are headed for Eden. When you read the first three chapters of the Bible in Genesis, when you read the last three chapters of the Bible, it's Eden restored. We're headed back there. And Sarah says, are you going to bring me back to Eden? The Lord says, is anything too wonderful? Yes, I am. You're going to get a foretaste of what it used to be like. I'm going to restore your marriage. I'm going to give you intimacy. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make everything all right. Dostoevsky wrote a great novel. He wrote many great novels. One of them is called The Brothers Karamazov. And there's a scene where two people are talking about suffering, about how to make sense of suffering. And one of them, Ivan Karamazov, talks about a possibility to make sense of suffering. And Sarah had suffered. He says this, listen, carefully. I believe, says Ivan, 
like a child. That suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful image. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that has been shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that's happened. Sarah, in her old age, is going to get a foretaste of Eve. And she laughs because she's incredulous. She can't believe it. And now we come to the last verse of this portion, verse 15. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Full stop. What am I going to do with this? I puzzled this week. How am I going to end this sermon? This is odd. She, she, she's talking to the Lord, and she denies it. She lies about it. And God knows. What am I going to say about this? Well, I first thought, well, God knows our every thought, doesn't he? We know this from this story. She didn't laugh out loud. She didn't speak out loud. Somehow God knew everything that she thought. It's all in her head, all in her heart. And uh, all her questions, all her doubts, how she saw herself, her inner personal dialogue, she, it was all laid bare to him. There's a verse in Hebrews, if you wouldn't mind putting up Hebrews 4, uh, starting in verse 12. For the word of the Lord, of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Do you believe that? Does it scare you? I believe it, and it scares me. So I thought, maybe that's why she was afraid. She knew that God saw her inner thoughts, and it scared her. Well, that's probably true, but I didn't feel very satisfied by that. So then I thought, well, let's look at the big picture. I love looking at big picture. I'm a big picture guy. I like to, to, to draw us out a little bit. So, so the Lord takes time out of his busy schedule, and he comes down, and he's interested in Sarah. And the whole scene is, is absolutely phenomenally beautiful. She's at the, the door of the tent, and she's hearing all this. And God speaks to her. He takes time to speak to her. She is going to have a son. That's grace. 
isn't it? It's just the grace of God. This is who God is. He takes that time to see her as a human being, as a person, as an individual. He sees her in his grace. And then at the end, that, that full stop thing, no, you did laugh. That's truth, isn't it? So grace and truth. God doesn't let that go. He lays it out. That's grace and truth. And I thought, boy, I've heard that before. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. I thought, well, there it is. There's the end of my sermon. It's grace and truth. And then you see Jesus in chapter 4 of John coming to the woman at the well. He reaches out to her in grace. He sees her. He talks to her. He converses with her. And then he says, uh, no, um, you don't have a husband. And he lays out her whole sexual history. And she's drawn to him. She's attracted by him. Here's a man who knew everything, but he didn't run away from me. He didn't exploit me. He didn't try to take me himself. He spoke truth. There it is, grace and truth. But that is true. And then I think it was yesterday it dawned on me. The best way to end this sermon is to see who it points to. So, there's another story in the Bible about a woman who has a supernatural pregnancy as well. And angels show up and talk to her. You know what I'm talking about? About Mary and about Jesus. Now, let's, I want to just point out two things and, and we'll quit. The name first. So we find in chapter 21, Isaac is finally born, right? And Abraham, in verse 3, called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. Yeah, you knew that. And Abraham circumcised him, verse 6. Abraham was 100 years old. And, and now the next verse, Sarah said, Here's Sarah's response to it. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I've borne him a son in my old age? Isaac means to laugh, and she, they name him Isaac to laugh, and she says, everybody's going to laugh with me. They're not going to believe it. When I tell them this story of what happened, they're going to laugh. And then there's another son born. His name's Jesus. And he's going to save his people from their sin. And that brings up the thought of a sacrifice. And in Genesis 22, what happens? God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, this man Isaac, this young man whose name means to laugh, take him to the Mount of Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. And where our minds are blown, we can't believe it. This is so unbelievable. But Abraham obeys and he takes his son. And you know the story. He binds him and he lays him on the wood and he raises a knife. And the angel of the Lord comes and says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. Can you imagine? Here I am. 
And Abraham looks, and over there, in the thicket, is a ram caught by its horns. And that ram was offered instead of Isaac. There was no ram in the thicket to take Jesus from the cross. No. He became our substitute. You see, he died for our sins. He was the one that God poured out his justice upon. Yeah? Saves us from our sins. That's what his name means. And so today, you and I, here at New King, we look at this, we see what it points to, and we're incredulous. We're absolutely incredulous that God could do such a thing for us. Let me ask you a question. If you, if you're, let's pretend you have a spouse. If your spouse knew everything that you thought, every thought, how do you think your relationship would be? Hi, honey, how does this dress look? Looks great. How do you think your relationship would be if your spouse, if your best friend knew every single thought in your head? Hey, you want to hang out tonight? That'd be the last thing I want to do with hang out with the likes of you. I'm busy. What if that was the case? Where would our relationships be? They would all be broken. See, this is the amazing thing. God knows you. God sees you as an individual, as a person. He knows every thought that you think, and yet he doesn't abandon you. He sent his son to die for you. That's the amazing part about the gospel. He knows us, and he doesn't desert us. He loved us. He gave himself for us. Let me tell you, that story is so incredible. It makes you want to laugh. It makes you want to walk from this place with joy in your heart. This is the God we have to do with. When God says, no, you you did laugh, he doesn't say, okay, now I'm taking away the blessing. Now you're not going to have a baby. I take it all back. I'm going to punish you for your unbelief. He says, no, I have to tell you the truth. You did laugh. And that's the end of it with God. That's all we hear. And now the story changes and talks about something else. God sees us. God loves us. God did something about it. He sent his son to die for us. Do you believe that? If so, you can walk from your place incredulous with joy in your heart and you can laugh at the love of God for us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this portion. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Oh, Father, we're just incredulous about what you have done for us, what you do for us, and where we're headed. We're headed back to Eden, Father. We're headed back to the pleasure of all pleasures, to be with you. You will dwell with us, and we will dwell with you, and you will wipe away every tear. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for loving us and not deserting us and giving your life for us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Help us to go from this place and to be hospitable, to share this love of Jesus, 
to be joyful for this love of Jesus with everybody we meet. Help us in that, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.